Welcome to Collisions YYC, Beyond the Echo. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. In this special series of episodes, I tackle the question of how does the world see Calgary and what can we learn from it? This is a journey of curiosity, of taking the time to gain the insights from the people that are outside of our day-to-day conversations. I'm seeking to learn where there are gaps, misunderstandings, and most importantly, opportunities for us to grow. During this intense period of economic transformation, I'm not willing to leave any stone unturned that may give us an advantage for the road ahead. Join me as I chat with thought leaders, innovators, and the movers and shakers of the world to learn their perceptions of our amazing city from beyond the echo. I'm having a good old-fashioned chat here with Miss Kathy Han. How are you, Kathy? Great. How are you, Tyler? I am really good. We're just discussing Calgary. We're doing the classic Canadian. We're talking weather. <laughs> We're talking about what the weather is beautiful outside right now. Kathy, you're the co-founder at 42. So let's maybe start in a little bit. This is a this is exciting. This is an, epi- an episode of Beyond the Echo. So you moved back to Calgary for uh, due to COVID and some of the things we've been dealing with. But up to this point, you were living down in the US. Is that correct? Yeah, I've been in San Francisco for the last couple of years and um, I'll probably head back as well. And we originally started the company in Canada, actually, and then uh, moved it to San Francisco because of the customer base and because of the investors that we had. Oh, interesting. Okay. So it was a Calgary base, but you you moved to pursue or to, you know, obviously open more doors for opportunity. We originally started it in Canada, but yeah, uh-huh. it was um, because it was a tech company and it was a software company and we went to do a program called Y Combinator in the Valley. So okay. we moved there to do that for three months and then just ended up deciding to stay after. But both Michael Fanner and I are Canadian. Okay. Well, we'll circle back on that. Let's let's start with a little bit. What is? Tell us about 42. Let's give us a little bit of background on that. Yeah. So 42 is a big data platform that helps retailers analyze all the volume of data that they have. So we basically act as a centralized data warehouse. And if a retailer has uh, data, everything from their sales data all the way to inventory and things in their ERP and whatnot, it's kind of hard for them to figure out what's going on with the business. So we basically built a SaaS platform that would bring together all this data and make it really easy for uh anyone in the company really to go and be able to access the data that they need. Uh, and it's been a great time building it the, the last couple of years. No doubt. And just to be clear, 42, is that an ode to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and 42 being the answer to this? Am, am I correct to assume that maybe that had something to do with the name or no? Am I going out on a limb here? No, you're completely right. I think we wanted to name it that because uh, one, it's a data company and we thought it'd be cool to, to name it a number. And two, if you're going to pick any number for a data company, it's got to be 42. So that was the origin. My brother-in-law is a programmer. He loves the number 42. He never misses an opportunity to regale me with why it's the best number ever. So yes, I'm very, fl- I'm very, very <laughs> around that. And I have many a Christmas dinner that I've been, I'm like, yes, tell me the story about 42 again. Um, Cause Great I think book. I've, the, yeah, yes, I need to, it's on, it's on the list. I'm trying to do at least one or two classics a year. I think I would, I would throw that in the classic category, but in its own kind of nuanced pop culture, classic kind of way. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So for you, for yourself, just a little bit about, I uh, always, always curious. So the idea behind starting the company mm-hmm. uh, was this, did you have experience in this area? Did you just identify a problem and say, you know what, this is, you know, I want to apply my skills somewhere. I think this is a problem that needs to be solved. Like, how did you get from, I'm thinking about it to actually getting into the place of, of starting a company based on solving this problem? So I got started with startups uh, originally in undergrad because I was uh, involved with this organization at school that was doing all the entrepreneurship conferences and whatnot. And it was, uh, it just changed my perspective on what entrepreneurs did and, you know, how much freedom you have to go and kind of uh, look at a problem in the world and then figure out how to do something about it and make a product, you know, kind of from the ground up. And so I worked at Procter & Gamble for a bit after school. And one of the issues that 
you know, I noticed there was that there was just a lot of data and there was a big discrepancy between who had access to the data and who actually needed to be able to do analysis with it and a lot of inefficiencies in between. So we thought that, you know, retail was an industry that obviously was sitting on a large volume of really valuable data and they didn't have access to a lot of the technologies uh, that they needed to, to be able to kind of solve that kind of thing. And so that was the entire premise behind 42. Uh, but we actually built it with the customers because we had this thesis of a problem. And then we went out to all the customers and we basically showed them prototypes of little things that we would build, you know, overnight and say, is this something that you need? And if we did this, would you like it? If you did, if we did that, would it be helpful? And they would give you feedback on that. So it was a pretty iterative process such that by the time we got to, you know, uh, a couple of the early customers in, they, we would walk into the room and say, oh, this is what we have. And this is, what we're planning on building. And they're like, yeah, that's exactly what we need. But, you know, it was actually something that was worked out by the customers. So uh, I think that's probably the best way to approach building a new product. That's so interesting. And I've had so many guests on the show that talk about, you know, hey, what, you know, what would you tell startups? Or what would you tell entrepreneurs? They're like, get the customer involved sooner. Don't yeah. stay in your basement and like try to make the idea quote unquote perfect without actually bringing in the people. And it seems to be there's a bit of a gap there sometimes. And I don't do you, from your experience, and obviously you probably have friends or cohorts that are working in, in entrepreneurship. Do you feel like, is that a barrier you see sometimes where people are, don't get the customer involved soon enough? Yeah, for sure. And I think sometimes you forget about it as well, just because there's so many things going on when you get later on in a startup, but it's very, it actually has to go along your entire product development chain. So it's not like you only do this at the beginning, you figure out your product and then you keep, you know, it's something that you have to keep kind of getting feedback into in order to refine the product over time. And our customers have helped us build the product so much faster than we could have guessed on our own. So sometimes you're sitting in the office and you just feel like you're stuck and you don't know where to build it. And the best thing to do is just pick up the phone and call either people that you already work with or ask them, you know, if there's people that they think would be good and have ideas and whatnot. And I think one of the things to avoid too early on is to talk to people that you think are going to be overly encouraging. I think you want to balance <laughs> having enough optimism to, you know, kind of get the company off the ground, but also talking to people who are maybe like very close to you or friends or who want to tell you that you're doing a great job. And that's actually one of the biggest disservices that you can do to, uh, you know, kind of help a group of people trying to, to found a startup in the beginning. That is such good advice. Not to don't surround yourself with yes people and that like, yo, you're amazing. And like almost create a little entourage of fans where really you want that critical feedback and like the, the blatant, like, don't do that. Any, don't waste any more time on that because it does is of no value to us. That is, that is a huge value when you're investing time and energy, probably on a shoestring with a startup. Like you said, rapid prototyping overnight. So you could show something the next day. Yeah. The last thing you want to do is to invest too many nights in a row on something that's not going to be valued. Yeah, for sure. So curious. So you you're you were you were in Calgary. So when I see 2013 uh, to present, you know, seven eight. I'm, of course, I'm creeping on your LinkedIn. Professional. We're all <laughs> professional creepers. So you were in Calgary for the first couple of years of your mm-hmm. of your iteration. We were actually in Toronto. So we started 42 okay. in Toronto, and then we uh, moved to San Francisco for the YC program. And the reason. Oh, I see. Okay, did- so you're from Calgary. You're in Toronto. Okay, got it. So I'm putting I'm putting the puzzle pieces together. Yep. And then, so, I mean, part of the the move for us was, I think we wanted to push the acceleration of the product faster. And at that point, at least a couple of years ago, there was a huge difference between the Canadian ecosystem and the U.S. ecosystem. And now I think, you know, places like Toronto and Waterloo and whatnot have built a really great 
um, atmosphere for startups to kind of build and, and stay there and to be a sustainable place to, to build a company. But to us at the time, and I think even to a certain extent now, there's just no place like the Valley in terms of how quickly things get moved and how how fast you're able to get both feedback and then also, you know, kind of new ideas for what it is that you need to do next. And so we just saw a pace of change and a pace of work that we didn't want to miss out on. And so kind of moved there um, to kind of kick everything off. Interesting. So from, from your perspective, having grown up in Calgary and doing school in Toronto, working in Toronto, uh, what are you, you know, this show fundamentally is about the view from outside Calgary, but also we're going to have to look at Canada as, as an overall. So mm-hmm. I heard you say a few things that Canada has caught up in certain areas where seven years ago, that wasn't necessarily the case. We're now maybe a little bit better, but right. you specifically called out. I didn't hear, I didn't hear you say Calgary when you said Waterloo, Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Calgary is up and coming for sure. Okay, and I think no, Calgary this, this is about being positive too. So I didn't want to put you on the spot there. <laughs> no, I, I think there's a lot of potential here. So um, there's been a lot of programs in the past, and because I spent uh, a lot more time on the East Coast in you know the last couple of years as well. Between Toronto and Montreal, I think what we've seen is that we've obviously heard Montreal's established themselves as an AI hub. So, you know, things are obviously really hot in that space right now. And they've developed a lot of programming to support the the companies that are kind of being built there. And the Waterloo, um, the whole corridor between kind of Waterloo and Toronto and all the different schools and whatnot that feed into it has created, I think, a really strong uh, community in and around the greater Toronto area for people to build in as well. I do think Calgary has a really big opportunity. I think we have a long way to go. And I think that a lot of that focus is around a couple of different areas that people have done uh, around, you know, kind of the fun- funding and incentives and uh, the financial side that you can provide to new companies starting. But also what I think has been the toughest problem among, you know, all the founders that we talk to, if you talk to enough people, they'll tell you that people I think is always the most important part of a company and the talent pipeline, especially around the technical side is just very challenging to build and to maintain. And that's something that will take some time. And I think that's something that, you know, we maybe not don't have enough, um, of a concentration of schools and whatnot in Alberta versus a place like Ontario and also, you know, in, in some places in the state. So that that might be another area to work on as well. And then I think the last thing is just kind of the availability of new ideas in a community. So when you first start something, how much support do you have for people who are willing to tell you the truth, who are willing to walk you through the early things that they went through and help you kind of get up and running quicker? Um, those are some of the things that I think I've seen done well in at least some of the other Canadian communities that we definitely have an opportunity to, to catch up on. Interesting. So from that perspective, you know, where to so many, so many questions I want to ask. <laughs> but when it talks about that community, so like it's such an easy word to throw around. Mm-hmm. So is that like is that part of the cohort that's going to be affiliated with the academic uh, environments that are there? Is that venture capitalists that have have experience investing in these type of companies and they're willing to sit down with you to not only I've had startup you know, entrepreneurs on, they said, yeah, money is nice, but we also need that mentorship. Like we need both because we, you know, give us money, but we're not necessarily sure where to go next or how to get past this next level. Mm. When you talk about community and you said you moved down to the Valley and there was just a bigger ecosystem in, in general, if you were going to kind of build that ecosystem in order of like, okay, we get this in place and then we get that, what would be some of the key ingredients that you would, that you would want to see to go, all right, now I've got some proof points that we're moving in the right direction here. Hmm. There's probably a couple of different areas here. One, I would say, you know, we would talk about first is the people side and the talent side. And the second is kind of the resource and the community side. So on the people side, 
everyone is constantly looking for, you know, like no matter what company you are, there's just a shortage of technical talent still, given the number of companies that are being built and how quickly technology is developing, how quickly things are changing. I think if there's more investment, and this is more of a long-term investment, and I think all the way back to high school and up to get people, you know, um, open to exploring career opportunities uh, in computer science and in engineering or whatnot. I think that's a part of probably a longer 10, 20 year plan to get the talent pipeline built up. And then the second is making sure that if we have graduates that are interested in these things, that there's a continual training program for them. So we have enough internships and we have enough opportunities. We have enough uh, things like, I don't know, meetups or hackathons or whatever it is, whether these are virtual or actually located in the city for them to go and develop those skills and become you know, kind of the engineers that we need to, to kind of go and build those products. I think that's a very core part of it that, you know, we have great schools here in Alberta as well. And maybe it's just something that we do a little more investment in and bring a couple of people back who, you know, we've also got a lot of really great Canadian entrepreneurs that are working both here and in other places um, to help us build up this ecosystem. And the second part, which is something I noticed, and I don't want to generalize too much because, you know, we were in Toronto a while ago, but I think the venture capital and the funding ecosystem is a little bit different. So you tend to hear that Valuations in the Valley sometimes get a little bit crazy, which is, you know, that's kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum. But a lot of the investors that we came across in our early days were fairly conservative here. And it's not always a bad thing in other industries, but venture capital is something that fundamentally funds things that are risky. And if you're going to be asking a company to make a certain amount of revenue before you will give them that amount of capital for a very high percentage of their company, you're actually setting up that company for failure because it's going to be very hard for them to go and raise from investors later on if they took it at, you know, an incredibly low cap with very restrictive terms. And then other investors will look at the company later and think that, you know, what were these founders thinking or like they didn't set themselves up well enough to be able to kind of do the rounds later on. And so I think that's probably a mentality change that's happened slowly over time uh, from what I've heard from friends that are here. And again, I can't comment on, more of the recent changes, but I think investors here need to be a little more generous with our companies and don't discount the Canadian companies just because you can. And if someone comes to you and you think that, you know, the valuation is unfairly and favorable, you know, as an investment, but um, could potentially hurt the company down the road, I think we really get need to get everyone rallied around kind of building a community and not just getting great individual deal terms. That's interesting. I've had a few people talk about, you know, where Canada, sometimes there's a bit more of a short terminism mindset versus thinking a little bit more bigger picture. I love what you said about how are we setting this company up for success down the road, not just mm-hmm. a good deal today. Right. And when you're, when you're in the US ecosystem, did you sense there was a difference just because there was more comfort with what they were? Again, you, I've heard it said, and I'm putting my own terms on this a little bit in Calgary, like we've got a certain investor set, specifically in Western Canada, that was very used to investing in a certain industry in a certain way. <laughs> Where this is just new, and there's and there's a learning curve, and a lot of the the, the benchmarks they look for in their quote unquote formula aren't going to be there because a, a tech startup is very different than a oil and gas play for 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 just lack of better comparison. Yeah, for sure. And this isn't to say I think the the ecosystem in the valley is even different than New York or LA and other U.S. markets as well. So it right. certainly is different than Canada. But I think the attributes that make the valley really amazing is this feedback cycle. 
So a lot of the people that go on to do startups, when those companies go public or when they have an exit, they'll put the same money back in as angel investors or into funds. So that ecosystem just feeds on itself faster because there's just more of a cyclical loop and people are willing to go back and mentor and, you know, kind of give back. And I think people are also very, because there's such a wide diversity of experience, you can find whatever it is that you're looking for. You're within one to two degrees away of being able to talk to someone who's been through it or, you know, kind of done it before. Just because the the pool is big, the pool is deep and wider. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. And also, I think there's a bit of a difference between how willing people are to talk about ideas. I mean, there's so many ideas out there. If you're working on something, unless it's really, you know, someone could take a look at it and steal some proprietary scientific knowledge that you came up with, the whole stealth mentality around the beginning could also be, you know, kind of slow down companies a little bit more because... Yep. Um, if you're thinking of something, go talk to people about it. If they think it's a great idea and they can outbuild you on it, then you probably didn't do a good enough job of, you know, executing on the idea. And so <laughs> that's, an, that's an interesting way to look at it. I like that. <laughs> yeah. And so don't, don't be so afraid of that basically. And I think people are, it, it can sound kind of tough when you go in the beginning that you talk to people about ideas. And I think Canadians are very kind and nice and encouraging. And when we were building a startup in Canada, everyone's like, that's so cool. You guys are doing this. This is such a great idea, blah, blah, blah. We go to the Valley and the first couple of meetings, everyone's like, have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? I funded this company in the past. This didn't work for them. And it's just like people bombard you with, and it's not questions meant to discourage you from doing this. It's more like, mm-hmm they have a lot of questions around, have you considered all these different elements of the business? And so in any given week, you know, you'll, you'll just have so many different thoughts going through it. And then you take it back, you filter it and you figure out how to push the company forward. So I think we need a little more tough love, I think, uh, around our ecosystem as well and be a little more honest with our startups. Which when I talked to Joanne Fideko, who who connected us, she kind of expressed she expressed the same thing. She goes sometimes, you know, she goes not to be critical, but Calgary, Calgary stays inside its own little bubble too much, and they think they've got mm-hmm. this unique idea, and they bring it down to the valley, and all of a sudden, it's just like within twenty four hours that it's lying on the corner of the room bleeding because <laughs> it just couldn't it couldn't withstand the barrage that it was going to get. And you know, is is that a lesson for Canadian entrepreneurs to maybe develop a little bit of a thicker skin? Because maybe we are too nice. I, I like what you said. You said it with a smile. Everyone can't see, but she did say it with. A smile. <laughs> Yeah. And I think, look, a lot of it isn't personal to, you know, you're doing a terrible job of this because I think a lot of the things with startups, you can go, you can execute perfectly. You could have had the best intent and the greatest team, but there's always this element of, you know, is this the right time for this product? Did you hit kind of the right right need at the right market? And there's just so many different elements in it. So if people criticize the idea, try to isolate it from how well they think you're doing on it and more think about it as these are improvement areas. And um, maybe that's something that, you know, like I said, it's more of a cultural thing and we're so used to, mm-hmm. to being nice and giving that feedback, but really with startups, you, you need that honesty and you need to be people to kind of poke holes in it until you figure out how to get it to a place where it can withstand, you know, much larger customers. And if you're going to go expand on the product and expand on the set, you want to make sure that you work through, you know, kind of any possible, um, issues there are. That's interesting. Is there is there any way in your mind to kind of fast? Because what you just explained sounds like it's learned from hard, it's hard earned experience mm-hmm. of knowing how to like understand what feedback you're getting, what it means, how to apply it, having thick skin, you know, quote unquote, not taking it personally, you know, as you know, when you think about this tech ecosystem that we're growing in 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 Western Canada, and we're working towards being diversified, I guess is there a place back to the talent and the pipeline? Like, are we setting? Should we start in high school, gearing up our entrepreneurs or getting that entrepreneurial? Like, this is the real hard skills you need to have. Aside from sorry, soft skills versus the hard technical skills. Like, I I don't hear a lot of. 
I have nieces and nephews in school. I don't hear them taking a lot of courses to get them ready for what you just described. Mm. Yeah, I, I think this is a huge opportunity area, and I definitely think it's uh, it's better to start a little bit earlier because then you get to the used to the language, and you know this. But when you're learning, you know, kind of skiing or rollerblading or things like that when you're younger, you're just much less afraid of falling. And I think kids have that mentality and they're able to kind of, you know, go and learn it and ask questions and not feel like, you know, they should know things or whatnot. And so two of the things in Canada that's made the biggest difference in my education outside of school, I would say one is Shad Valley, which was a high school one month camp, you know, kind of in high school um, that kind of put you on a university campus, put you through all of this programming. It's very uh, STEAM focused, which I think is called STEAM now because it's STEM with yes. arts added. Okay. Yes. Um, yes. Science, technology, engineering, arts, and what's math? Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Steam, that's right. Steam, steam, I, steam versus STEM. I'm like, wait a second. I'm checking. Do I have my acronym sorted out? Yep. Yeah. I think you got all the letters there. But yeah, that, that was something that I did in high school that really changed my mind. Um, on what the opportunities were that were available to me because in high school, you know, for us at the time, it was, uh, it was biochemistry and physics were the sciences. And so whatever subject you did well in, which for me at the time was bio, your recommendation from your guidance counselors was you should go into something here. And I have so much respect and admiration for doctors and people in the medical space. I think I just didn't know at the time what other options I had. And so going to Shad, you know, we did an alumni panel for Shad actually last week and the speaker that really kind of changed my mindset on all, all of this was on the panel as well, Catherine Booth. And when she came in to speak, she was um, an SVP of IT at Canadian Tire. And she talked about how, you know, she did an engineering degree. Here are the things that were open to her. And, you know, you're really not restricted to what degree you do in school in terms of the career or the, the profession that you pursue. And even though that sounds so obvious now, at that point as a 16-year-old, I just needed to hear someone outside of my high school environment tell me what other options there were. And I think that's when I started looking and I picked my major differently based on that. I was able to do different things uh, from there. And so that's something in high school that made a huge difference. And then the other program is called The Next 36. I did The Next 36 the first year it started in Toronto and uh, Reza Sachu is um, kind of uh, the, the professor or the founding professor of it. He was teaching this course at uh, U of T called The Economics of Entrepreneurship. He's also a practitioner in terms of having started a couple of different companies uh, outside of that. And he put together this program that basically took 36 uh, undergrads at the time that they thought had, uh, or I guess, entrepreneurial potential to go and eventually develop long tail businesses for for Canada to help, you know, kind of push the economy forward. But it was a very long term bet. The program's been running for uh, 10 years now, but it was transformational in that the mindset that they taught us to have was that you don't need to be ready to start a company. In fact, if you're ready to start a company, the opportunity is probably gone because everyone can make the perfect decision with a full set of information. So I think a lot of those things are, you know, what you refer to um, in terms of the soft skills that are really important to kind of instill in our students. Well, it's early so on. interesting because so much of what you're talking about is the is the mindset and the belief structure to be able to to step into the unknown or you know go forward with thirty percent of the information that you that might you know being arbitrary of course 
to do that, that is so, that's a, such an interesting skill that often gets learned over time and experience of trips and falls and you learn and you get more comfortable with, and not everyone's. It also takes certain personalities to lean into that entrepreneurial path as well. Mm-hmm. It's not for everyone and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I find that it's becoming, I, I joke, you know, not to get into my age, but when I was younger, if you said you wanted to be an entrepreneur and to your guidance counselor, they would send you to some type of a remedial program. Like it was <laughs> not, it was not looked at the way it is today. Just the concept of the side hustle even today. It's such an interesting world that we are, are lending so much to like opportunity and be creative and listening to my 17, 16 year old nephew talk about like, oh, I want to run my own business. I don't know what it is, but it's going to, and it's being supported in a different way today. And when you start thinking about technology and like you said, how many more options, just exposing people to what's possible is, is almost half of the equation. For sure. And I mean, we're at a really great time right now because sometimes when you look at these tough changes, people don't like to make changes, but you you know, in movies, you always see the protagonists go through kind of the biggest character development when a lot of things go wrong for them in their life. And then when they're forced to go make a change, but then things turn out, you know, much better than they could have expected or planned. The the classic story, the storyline, the classic hero's journey. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And it's tough. And there's a lot of things that you have to, you know, kind of do to pick yourself up, up off the ground. And I feel like we've been challenged with that here, mostly because Alberta as a whole has relied a lot on resources, particularly oil and gas. And I, I know that we've done a lot to try to diversify. And when we look at these opportunities to make really tough transformations, when things happen like this, you know, with the political and the economic changes in the world and now overlaid with COVID, it's almost like we're being forced to go through a change. And the great thing about that is that it's, you know, it builds consensus that might otherwise be tough to build that everyone thinks <laughs> that, does. you know, we need to change and we need to go and, and pick up something. And, um, yeah, in a way, I think this is a really great opportunity for us. It's not going to be easy, but I think we have to also look at it long term and not think that, you know, this is one of those things where you don't get up today and you train for a marathon that you run tomorrow. It's something that we have to invest in and we have to have a mindset to kind of iterate on over the course of the next maybe 5, 10, 20 years, but we will get there, but we just have to start now and it's not too late. No, I agree with you. This nothing we're talking about is a short-term fix or a short-term overnight solution. And and sometimes I think politically, media-wise, we we drive towards those like sound bites, but that's not necessarily reality. Mm-hmm. So curious, when you're down in the valley and you're working, you know, in the space that you're working in, what's the perspective? Because part of the show is you know view from outside the you know you, you can't see the label when you're inside the bottle. So when you're out looking back at Alberta and and Calgary, uh, and I, I don't want to sound negative, but does Calgary even come up? Is it even is it even in a, in the conversations that you're having? when you're outside in the US, venture capitalists talking with talent. Does, does, does anyone bring up Calgary at the dinner table? <laughs> I think we need to put ourselves on the map more. I think when okay. people look at Canada, the one that comes up the most often is probably Waterloo. And Waterloo, if anything, is almost on par, uh, if not in a different way, more advantageous than MIT and, and Stanford in hiring because Waterloo has such a strong co-op program, such that the students who graduate from there are so in demand in the Valley because they'll have gone through, you know, anywhere between five to seven co-ops by the time they hit a company in the Valley. And so I think for that reason, Waterloo's made a name for themselves. Um, but Calgary, I mean, obviously one of the co-founders from Uber is from Calgary. We have those mm-hmm. success stories, but I think it's, uh, and there are a lot of really great companies here. Maybe we don't marketed enough where the concentration's not as high enough. And also keep in mind the Valley is going through their own set of problems right now with people trying to move out to, you know, lower cost places like Austin, Portland, Denver, Seattle have been all very popular in the last couple of years and, and creating kind of those communities. Um, I think within the Valley, the perception is more 
I think if there's strong technical talent or if, you know, when AI was hot in Montreal, that was also a thing when people were trying to build their offices out there. Um, I think when immigration became an issue, Vancouver kind of stepped up and said, oh, you know, we have a lot of talent here on the same time zone that, that can work with you here. So I think there's a big opportunity for Calgary to figure out what our branding is and where we can establish a name for ourselves and kind of fill in uh, for something that's competitively unique to us that you know, one of the other cities hasn't claimed. And that probably is going to take a little more, a little more of us going out there and advocating for ourselves. I like what you said. I think it's so easy to try to, well, we're going to be, you know, we're not going to be Silicon Valley. We're not going to be Waterloo. We need to be our version of whatever that is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've had different guests talk about, well, you know, we've got such a large, rich data set because of the industrialization we have here. Maybe we should focus. So from your perspective is if you were going to, if you were going to pick the 10 year, like the whole, like, I think it's been the theme here. You know, what's, what's the joke? It's a bet. What's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago, but if not then, well, how about right now? Yeah. So if we were going to plant that tree right now, where, what are your, what's your perspective on where, Calgary maybe has some opportunity to where there's some white space for Calgary to step into on its own version of what these other cities are maybe known for. What what could we be known for down the road from a technical perspective from your viewpoint? So we're also pretty close to the West Coast in terms of, you know, there's a pretty easy commute here. And you're seeing with COVID that there's a lot more remote work now. And I heard from a friend um, that their company was hiring for PMs and for product managers in basically any city. There's no restrictions now. And so What's to say that we can't be a city that surfaces talent in a particular area? So maybe it's things around uh, if we decide we have an advantage in natural materials or in engineering or hard tech or robotics or whatever that is. I think Mm -hmm. picking something where our natural talent pool matches with that, where we think or alternatively, we have an advantage in building up a set of talent in that space and then kind of taking it out there and then getting a couple of companies involved and then. A lot of it really, I think it it is a branding issue. If people are easily able to pinpoint Calgary, um, a lot of people would probably talk about oil for us. A lot of tourism reasons would probably talk about Banff. Um, but what are like kind of the three, four, five things that we want to be known for on that list? And that's something that we need to, I think, down up, figure out with the citizen base, look at locally what is, you know, the talent pool that we have. Um, What do we think is a sustainable set of, I guess, skills that we can help our community build? And then how do we take Mm -hmm. that out globally? I think increasingly business isn't that local anymore. And being a resource rich place, you know, we've really benefited this from the last little while. And I think we need to step away from that a little bit and maybe away from our comfort zone and start to look at how we play on the global scale. I hear you. It, uh, as a marketer, it often comes down to a messaging problem. <laughs> and I think so many guests I've had on have almost hung their head of like, oh yeah, you know what? We don't really tell our story well. and We don't put ourselves out there, which mm-hmm. also I think could be very Canadian. We're using some generalizations today, which is, which I appreciate. And from that perspective of, you know, looking at our history and thinking about oftentimes when you look at an organization, you're like, what are your core competencies? And then how can you pivot those into other areas without mm-hmm. necessarily a whole is there anything from the oil and gas space? And again, I'm, I'm being very prescriptive with or very precise with my questions, maybe for putting you on the spot. <laughs> is there anything where you would say like, hey, based on what this industry has been very good at from a problem solving perspective and on doing things on a large scale, is there any areas where you would see like, hey, we could parlay that into this or what's kind of close, but still different enough that we could take some of our skills and just shift them versus these wholesale changes of reskilling people, which can be very challenging and sometimes not even realistic. 
Right. And I completely agree with that. It's not to say that, you know, things like AI or machine learning are the right thing for every city to try to, you know, build towards. And also, this isn't, you know, kind of what your core base is built around, then that's a different story. I think there's probably two audiences that we're talking about here as well. One is the natural talents that we have around oil and gas in Calgary, and two is the future generation. So the next set of the students that are growing up now and whatnot. And I think these are a little bit different. So in terms of the oil and gas side, I don't come from this industry, so I can't speak as um, you know, kind of detailed to it, but I do have a friend who's working on his own startup in this space. And I think resources are hot. Hard tech is also hot with investors because there are so many companies now that are building B2B software for other startups that that space seems to be a little bit crowded. So if anything, if there's hard tech involved, if there's patents involved, if there's actually processes and whatnot involved, um, I know friends who've worked on um, kind of projects to help oil companies become a lot more efficient, let's say, whether that's in the, the refinery process or whether that's in, you know, kind of the end delivery or whatnot, because oil is so big and we don't know what the future, you know, will look like uh, in terms of changes, for, but for the world in general, not just for this industry. Um, I think part of that is looking at what technical overlays can be built on top of this. And there have been companies that have done really well in this. And then the second part is looking at in terms of the new talent that we want coming up, how do we train them so that they become really good at learning new technologies? Because one of the things is that in, within engineering, you you know this, there's so many different languages that will come up. There's so much different new tech. So it's not like if you're a good engineer today and you don't work on something in five years time, you're not going to be the best either. So I think it's more <laughs> yeah. training for how can you quickly learn and adapt to these new skill sets um, and then basically setting up our students not to start too late so that when they enter a market at some point, they feel like they're behind the other peers that they're working with, because that can be discouraging. And then for them, it's, you know, oh, maybe I can't compete here, or maybe I should go find a different opportunity. Shouldn't think that. You should do everything that you can to figure out how do I catch up and become even better than everyone else that's around me. And I think that's a mentality that we need to kind of instill early on. Well, resourcefulness, adaptability, like, you know, what, whatever you know now, it's going to be different tomorrow. And I think that that, that that's only, that pace is accelerating. There's no, there's no question, no matter what field you're in. Yeah. So in terms of yourself, do you have much, are you connected much in with, uh, I know you've, you've been moved back. Are you connected much into the tech ecosystem and the startup ecosystem in, in Calgary? Or I'm assuming you've been very busy running, running your own business, but just curious of your perspective of kind of what is going on now in the city and where you're seeing, you know, shining, where you're seeing lights or like you're seeing green shoots, but maybe other areas where you're like, Hey, we're still, Ooh, we could do, we could, we could do better in that area as far as hard advice. Yeah. One of my close friends who is uh, in the Valley with me and is here now is actually involved with a lot of this development. And, um, they were looking at, I think prior to COVID having a space in the city that, you know, was dedicated to kind of having new, new startups come in. But, um, I think, do you mean in terms of particular industries that we could look at or just um, yeah, well, obviously the technology, like anything tech related, which I know is just an underpinning and it's hard to go like, okay, which part of it, but I'm just thinking about this ecosystem as we look at diversification, obviously anything technology related is getting a lot of focus and it's very yeah. popular as a, as a future going forward. But you said, you know, the ecosystem, when you look at it overall, I guess areas that you say, wow, like in the last few years, we've really 
we've really there's some really good things going on in this specific area, or maybe there's uh, community led initiatives that are doing some great things, you know, like startup or platform or even some of the work. See, like there's so many little pockets. Yeah. So I'm curious from an outsider's point of view where you go, wow, yeah, you know what? I think we're really we're really on track there, or like, wow, you know what? That's probably not going to get us the outcome we want. Mm. So for one thing, I think if you look locally at either the Calgary or the Canadian market, some of the examples that have been really great is, you know, Wealthsimple for Canada. So for something that's so regulated, from my understanding, at least Wealthsimple offers a combination of products from, you know, Wealthfront in the States and maybe Robinhood and maybe um, a couple of other, you know, kind of fintech startups that they're not able to enter the Canadian market as easily because of the differences in, in mm-hmm. investment restrictions and whatnot. So spaces like that, if there is a big market and if somebody else has already discovered it in another place and it can be built for Canada, we have a lot of, you know, kind of people and that are, you know, looking for this kind of tech. And so looking at maybe Canada as a market for spaces that have already been developed either in the States or in Asia is a really cool thing um, to, you know, kind of build something local. The Skip the Dishes guys also did a really great job of, you know, kind of building a Canadian product uh, around delivery that was tailored to the local market. And then the second thing in terms of international development. So we've looked at, so for instance, Now there's more of a trend toward, uh, in the beginning, for instance, if you were outsourcing development or whatnot, maybe it went Mm -hmm. to uh, Europe and Ukraine or whatnot. I think we have friends that have teams in Portugal. Now we're looking at Buenos Aires as one of the the new markets because the time zone is so aligned. Yeah, and Mm -hmm. and it's actually, they've really come up. And I think the great thing about kind of Canada and the US is that culturally they're so close and there's no language barrier. So in terms of things that need to be built and in terms of the time zones, we're not off by that far, you know, coast to coast is three hours and Calgary's right in the middle of that. So looking at, you know, what are kind of the needs and the gaps around the world for, you know, building, I don't know, like building out a really strong talent pool that could go and either work at other places, then come back and figure out how they start things on their own here. Or, you know, like what, I guess, what can we do to support the growth of global businesses and be a part in that? Because I think more and more now companies are not doing things integrated internally. They're just focusing on the one core product they're building. And then they're taking a lot of the other parts of it and looking for other people to to help develop that. So uh, there could be an opportunity for us there as well if we're trying to go international. Again, thinking outside of our own borders and thinking on a much, you know, as a resource-driven province, like literally we were dealing with 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 resources that were under like were in our backyards, literally and figuratively. Or now, like you said, especially because of COVID, the acceleration of the borderless world and the global village at the same time, it's quite interesting how it's shifted what's possible. Yeah, definitely. Just prophesizing on the on the like this forced experiment we've been in is like taking what was going to happen anyways over the next few years in my belief and just accept accelerated in five months, which I think is amazing. (laughs) Yeah. In a lot of ways, I think um, it's a blessing in disguise in terms of getting everyone onto the same page, thinking that we need to change and whatnot and, and kind of taking people along. Um, I think there's the concern of, you know, brain drain has definitely been a challenge for Canada in general. A part of what we talked about at the next 36 is that you know, they would tell us that there's no difference in competence between the the Canadian startups, you know, at least at the early stages, what the founders are mm-hmm. able to do versus what the U.S. founders are able to do. But the big difference is in the mindset. So for the Canadians, it's like you look at something and you're like, I'm going to build something that's really great in my city or in my market, whereas you should look a lot more global. Why don't we think about, you know, kind of dominating this space and being the incumbent player 
in a particular industry or with a particular product, we definitely have the ability to do that. I think a lot of it is around making sure that there's enough of a pipeline behind us so that if this company starts to grow, you're not, you know, kind of grasping for talent or not knowing where to go. Um, And there's probably some guidance that comes along with that as well. So pulling on some of the global Canadians that are in different places to, to give back and contribute their perspective and help these companies out and help them grow. And if we can get a couple of stars out of that, Shopify has been uh, incredible for the Toronto mm-hmm. ecosystem. So if we can get an equivalent of that, why wouldn't we not have a company that's listed for hundreds of billions of dollars, you know, on uh, the, a New York stock exchange? That is something that's capable of, of being built here. Um, so I think we backwards figure out what needs to be done to support a company like that. And then how can we put in resources to make sure there's enough pipelines such that one of these companies ends up becoming, you know, kind of our hit. It's interesting what you said, the, this, the, just the spill off effect of what happens when you've got a success story like a Shopify or a rim in Waterloo and mm-hmm. just the layers of like, almost like as the layers peel off, it creates ecosystems and it creates money and it creates opportunities and so many examples of that. And then all of a sudden you've got now this critical mass of investment and talent all that have had a shared experience and are willing to scale that up and to do something different, like to go all kind of back in because it's what they're comfortable with. Right. There's so much power to that. When you talk about, you know, thinking about it from, even let's just get really practical. There's obviously there's going to be a Calgary audience listening to this. There's going to be some startups thinking about it. What advice would you give for somebody who's in Calgary? They've got their idea. They maybe are at a place where you're at, where like, you know what, like, man, we need to go. We need to get outside this fishbowl. We need to get into a bigger ecosystem. What's some of the advice that you would give somebody who's maybe a couple of years into their idea and they're thinking about going down to the Valley or they're thinking about moving to Toronto? What's, what, what's the, what's the, what's the mind? Well, again, what mindset should they have, which you've kind of talked about a lot. And then also what's on the checklist of they, that they need, that they they should have in place. So what you said earlier, which is to have a thicker skin and don't be offended. <laughs> People in the world are aggressive. The competition is a lot stronger in markets where there's a lot more companies, there's a lot more, you know, investors like fighting for different ideas and whatnot. And so when you go out there, play at that level and don't discount yourself and think that, oh, we're not as far along or whatnot. Honestly, I think one of the biggest things that we learned from YC mm-hmm. from having to hear, you know, kind of all these amazing founders come back in. So in our batch, we had the co-founders of Airbnb, of Pinterest, of MailChimp, of uh, Evernote come in, and they all talked about how challenging it was. It was just incredible to hear about the problems that they suffer through because you think that you're only one, you're the only one going through it. And what, 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 an, what an amazing room you just described from those, those individual <laughs> organizations that like, those are almost basically household names, or at least in the business community. Like, and no, that, 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 just that alone of hearing that must've been amazing. Yeah. And it's not what you think. It's not like, you know, I think what was far more valuable to hear from them was here's all the things that went wrong for us. Here's how we struggled here all the times the company could have died. And I think people think that everyone else is working off of something, I don't know, far easier or whatnot. Everyone else wishes that they had somebody else. <laughs> I think that's problem. a bit of a human character, right? Yeah. Like only, yeah, you must have had it easy, but I had it like, we, that's an interesting set of filters. I think that's a very human trait you just described. Yeah. And I, I, I think it's, it's tough because you read about all these success stories in the media and whatnot. And then you think, well, why am I doing this thing that seems so challenging when somebody else who's, you know, seemingly doing the same thing just went out and raised a bunch of money and whatnot. And I think 
Um, the president of YC made a great point on this. And he said, you don't know anyone else's fundraising story. And honestly, as a person, you probably don't know what they had to give up to get there. And so a lot of the times when you live in a place for long enough, you just know the ecosystem a lot better. And yeah, it's probably easier for them to raise from investors that they've known for the last five, 10 years. And so I wouldn't compare everyone's full story to, you know, kind of your starting point or whatnot. But what you should do is not limit yourself to thinking that I can only raise from, you know, investors that are close to me or whatnot. There are some restrictions around, you know, whether you have to be a Canadian or a U.S. entity. So that's something that you can definitely, you know, kind of set up and look into. Um, but don't limit your own thinking before you even get out there. And when you look at the other companies, don't assume that they have everything figured out. Because if there's one thing that I learned <laughs> in startups, at least over the years, yeah, everything's a bit of a, a mess on the inside and there's always a fire to be fought. Um, um, but it's just not as public as, you know, people might believe. That's so interesting. I recently had, uh, do you know Bobby Reset, who started Virtual Gurus in Calgary? No, but that sounds like a cool company. She, just fantastic, fantastic lady. Uh, LGBTQ, indigenous, one of the only indigenous kind of women running her own startup, like just a phenomenal story. Amazing. And she said, I think she got to 75 or 80 no's before she got her first yes. Mm. And her advice was, I wouldn't trade in one of those no's because I learned every single time. It was a very, you know, it was great story. The bit part of the platform economy. I just, we re just released her episode the other day, Cal Calgary based, just phenomenal story. But she said that like exactly what you said, like, and she was those first few feedbacks and she was very nervous of public speaking and putting herself out there and all kinds of things that she overcame as an entrepreneur Yeah. and listening to her talk about her journey. It, it's like a, it's a playbook of, you know, you're going to learn more from your no's than you will from your yeses, you know, to sum it up, oversimplify. And it's amazing when you can talk about the technical side of things, but it's still a human experience that we're having, right? Yeah, for sure. I, one of the things I remember when we were going through the sales process and I was thinking, oh, this deal may or may not work out. And, you know, I was, I was concerned about it. And I talked to one of our advisors at the time and I said, what if this doesn't work out? And he said, you know what the solution to a bad deal is? And I said, what? And he was like, have a lot more leads. So I think, and that's something that I remember to this day on sales, right? And he's like, look, if you're working 10 really strong prospects, you're not going to be so concerned that one deal doesn't work out. And so um, something that we learned pretty early in the Valley is they always told us don't, basically the deal is not done until the money's in the bank. People can tell you that they're interested. People can tell you they're going to invest. People can tell you that, you know, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. We're going to like write you the check or whatever until you open your bank account and the number is there. That deal is not done because a variety of things could happen. And so I think as a company here, sometimes people get really, um, I guess they read the signals in the beginning with a lot of optimism because you want to believe it. And I think a lot of it is just heads down and until the point where the numbers can prove it and you know, you know that you're on solid ground, just keep working and keep pushing and don't give up and don't like, you know, rest on your laurels and say, Oh, we, we signed this one customer. There's no, there's no glory in saying that like, Oh, we got this one customer signed up in our first week. We're all good. And we're all set to go. So if anything, I think that early success breeds kind of a little bit of, you know, you feel like you can sit back now and relax and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're constantly on edge thinking, you know, like you mentioned about Bobby, like you get a bunch of no's, it almost pushes you to think, well, I got to do more. I got to work harder. I got to think about different things. And it's going to get you to a place that is probably a higher point than you would have gotten on your own before. 
Yes, we, we love to celebrate the wins, but we learn the most from our challenges <laughs> and often and challenges, challenges slash failures, which is fun to say when you're in this armchair conversation, but the moment it really happens and it's a real, like it affects you, that's a very different journey than you and I just talking about it very casually, like, oh, for sure, failure is so fun. We all love it. It's Nobody not, loves it. No. It's not fun. <laughs> it's not fun at all. It's terrible. No, by, by all means. When you, when you say, oh, it's a learning experience, it's usually because it was kind of, it was, it was negative. Yeah. So curious, just from customer acquisition, I'm getting into the weeds a little bit. Mm-hmm. So in Toronto, moved down to the, to the US, <clears throat> even from your sales process of selling in a new technology, <clears throat> obviously you'd done a really great job of bringing, like being there with the customer the whole way. So it probably reduced objection and, and increased the value understanding right away. But how was it selling into the US market and US customers versus Canadian customers? Was there, did you see, was there a, was there a tangible difference for you? So when we first went to New York, most of our customers are are based out east, actually, on the east coast of the U.S. But when we first New York, I remember, you know, being in a meeting and then at some point, one of the SVPs looks at us and asks, are you Canadian? I'm like, what? I didn't even say about. How did you, you know, and, and you can hear now that I've corrected for the American in it. But uh, it's like, but what did I say? It was something like process or something. How do we pronounce process? Process, process? So process, process. I don't know. Now I'm now I'm self conscious. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. So I guess what, what, what's, I, w- I think I would say process. So is it process in the U.S.? I don't know, but whatever it is, it's, it's <laughs> I, I don't. I, I haven't. We'll have somebody write in and now. correct us from the show. But yeah. That's okay. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But I think the point there is that outside of <laughs> that, no one knew or uh, that we were a Canadian company. You know, like no, no one knew that we were Canadian founders outside of that. So why don't you sell as if you were a New York company or as if you're a Valley company? You should. There is no difference. I mean, like for all intents and purposes, I was going to say people can't tell, but actually, apparently the Canadian accent is a thing. And I did find some <laughs> of our early pitch videos. And yeah, I think I had a stronger Canadian accent when I first moved to the States. That's that, that's amazing. Well, it's, it's typical of us to not like, I don't think I have an accent. Yeah. I first when I moved here, people were like, oh, you can tell that you're French. I'm like, I don't even no, think I, I have an accent. They're I, like, yeah. you have a you have a total accent. It's <laughs> funny. I know that's such a funny psychology to it. But even from a customer's perspective, were the customers a little more? Was there a more of an aggressive like we need to see true value? Or was, were they more harsh? Like like the feedback you were getting was that customer sales cycle similar in terms of that? Were they quick to say like, oh yeah, no, we love it, or were they like, no, no, okay, I would love it, but this is wrong or this is wrong? I'm just curious of the customer cycle. I've sold a bit into the U.S., but not not enough to have a, a valid kind of opinion, if you know what I mean. So I think I actually saw less of a difference between Canadian and U.S. customers. There's a greater difference between investors and startups. But on the customer side, if someone is pulling out a checkbook to write you a check for your product, your product better deliver value. And I think that's a universal international (laughs) thing. We have customers in Europe, we've sold to Asia, and it's just in all these different places, everyone expects the same kind of quality and standard. And so- I appreciate that. Yeah, and you should go off the same basis. You should be providing 10x the amount of value than what you're charging. That's how people never get rid of your product, you know? And so I think for one of the things for Canadian companies is, yeah, go sell to these really competitive customers. And if you're not there and if people are not happy with your product, why should anyone else be buying your product anyway? You know, you shouldn't have a lower standard. There's one iPhone and the iPhone is as good for anyone in any market. So you should strive to build the best version of the product. If your customers have lower standards, you should help them, you know, kind of get to a place where your product can help them improve more. Um, But I've found typically customers Mm -hmm. are a little more uh, tough on, on not only startups, but really on any solution they bring in. 
I think what you said was very valuable. If someone is going to give you their hard-earned revenue dollars, mm-hmm. you know, which means maybe the difference of adding profitability or taking or adding or taking away from the bottom line in the short term, that discipline around what value do you actually provide is critical. And if you're not providing enough value, you shouldn't be at the table. I, I yeah, <laughs> we don't need to dress it up. That is that is the, the that's the most reality of it. Mm-hmm. So. Broad question: If you were going to take, uh, you know, an industry in Canada that maybe either is is evolving, needs to evolve, I think every industry is evolving these days because it has no choice, and collide it with another industry, maybe someone in the U.S. or just, I love to just the whole point of collisions is how can we bring two groups together that maybe don't necessarily spend time together, but they could learn a lot from each other, and that might be the energy sector and the defense sector. It might be ag. Like I get all kinds of answers on this. So from your perspective, I guess if you were going to lock two people, two groups in the room, knowing that something good was going to come out of it because they don't normally collaborate, who would you pick? I think fintech is pretty far ahead in terms of kind of the the customer experience and how they think about, you know, what's there and also in terms of how quickly they rotate through things and what they're willing to invest in. And so bringing that fintech mentality into an industry is probably a good thing. Now I'm trying to think of what fintech would be a good cross with. Uh, That's a little bit tougher. What what do you think? (laughs) I don't know. That's it. Fintech has come up a few times. Um, that seems like an obvious one. Who would we? So they have an innovative mindset. They're typically very customer centric in the sense that they're dealing with always innovating at the customer level. Mm-hmm. Who, what industry, what sector would be, would, would need that that's not doing it now to the same degree? You know, we can't, well, we're going to leave the oil and gas sector. I was not going to pick on them. I think they have a lot of ways they can innovate, but they are they are innovating as well. I'm not sure who I would cross those with. So, you know, one thing I heard that was really interesting was three different industries that um, one of uh, my old professors was talking about, which is um, actually, I'm, I'm going to rephrase, maybe we can cut that part out. But basically, one of my professors <laughs> was talking about basically combining three industries that were really interesting, which is healthcare, the environment, and education. And basically his point around that was that the way that these industries are measured right now are input given. So if you look at healthcare, it's how much time did you spend with the doctor? How many appointments did you have? If you look at education, it's how long did you sit in the classroom? When really what should be happening is you should be measuring the value on the other side. How quickly was I able to get someone to learn something? Or how quickly was I able to you know, diagnose someone with something and get them through the process. And so basically changing up the measurement in these big, big industries that affect everyone on a daily basis and looking at questioning basically our assumptions around, you know, how efficient they've been and and how much things should change. Um, so I don't know if that brings it back to fintech. At no, all, I, I, I like that one. I, I think fintech and healthcare would be an interesting one because they both like I think approach the customer and the customer experience very very differently. Mm-hmm. And from that perspective, and certainly if you look at education, that's an area that's being disrupted right now. The environment we need it we need to approach it differently in terms of how we're working at it. Health healthcare certainly in Canada, Western Canada. I know some tech startups that are working hard to innovate in that sector. And it is incredibly challenging. Like the door is three quarters closed all the time. <laughs> it's it's definitely tough. And I think one thing I will say is that as Canadians, we're incredibly lucky with our healthcare system. And I did not understand <laughs> why people complain about healthcare until I moved to the States. The other thing I didn't understand is why people complain about education. But the public education system in Canada is incredibly strong. And it's just so much yes. more consistent than what I hear about the U.S. schools. And there's people putting down deposits for their kids who are not yet born, you know, like so that they, they're able to, to kind of get a spot in line at, you know, these really high in-demand schools or whatnot, which is just, it just sounds crazy to me, you know, that we just don't have that kind of thing here. So we're actually very lucky because I think the infrastructure and the setup in Canada is really good. 
um, and it gives us a really strong foundation to work off of. Now, what we need to do with that is a different story, which is, you know, a part of this is, you know, I, I think I know we want to be encouraging of, you know, kids as they're growing up, but we're also doing the kids a disservice that are growing up here if we always tell them they're doing a great job with everything um, when, you know, there could be areas of improvement and there could be things that we could work on. So I think what we need to help our students build is kind of resilience from a young age mm-hmm. so that they're not, you know, offended by by feedback or whatnot when they go out and inevitably they're working with people from all over the globe. And um, part of that mentality carries over to the startups as well. I enjoy our overarching theme today, which was have a thicker skin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'd, I'd rather be in an environment where we've got this infrastructure and education set up and now we just maybe need to shift what's happening inside of it. That's way better than than not having that infrastructure in the first place because that's 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 a doable change because yeah. we've got such an advantageous and we have so much access in Canada, which is a huge advantage. To, you know, education and healthcare would too. Just the access that we provide as a nation is phenomenal. Now, if we can just get them focusing and, and operating maybe a little bit differently internally to give a different output back to your 10 or 15 or 20 year cycle. I've got hope that that's doable, you know, but this is like back to your, the, the tree analogy. We need to get that tree planted now though. Sure. <laughs> like not, not next year, not the year after that. We need to get it planted now. And, and we need everyone on it. We also need people to be forgiving. You know, if our, you know, kind of city officials are trying to help us figure this out or whatnot, it's not like you can't expect that everything you do will change things immediately. Also, I can't expect that we'll get everything right. And so, uh, that's probably a message to the Calgarians to be a little more engaged. You know, if you have feedback, if you have things that you're seeing at your companies or that you're hearing from peers outside, give that feedback from the bottom up. And the other side is that, you know, it's, I, I feel like with this transformation transformation that we're seeing in Calgary, it's kind of like a startup. You got to be iterative. You know, you don't go out there and you spend three years building out a plan because by that time your plan has basically expired. It's not relevant to the world that we live in today. So I think we're much better off, you know, having an overarching theme, knowing what goals we want to accomplish, and then breaking it down into very small pieces. And as we go along the process, um, know where the blocks could be from a policy standpoint and um, I guess be ready to iterate on that and to eliminate the the barriers as we go. And if we can keep doing that, I think we'll we'll end up in a great place. That's so interesting you say that. I've had a guest on recently and she took it back to you know strategic planning versus execution. And you know, who's removing the roadblocks and the bottlenecks that are happening and with some of these like larger visions, but yet we're not doing enough on the implementation phase and we just keep running headlong into these roadblocks. She kind of just broke it down into that. She goes, We're if, if Alberta was a company, this is what we need to go through. And she goes, This is where we're not removing roadblocks. We keep running into them and it looks a lot like failure, which maybe that's even the wrong filter to put on it. Back to your point, what's what's failure and what's and what's learning and what's iteration? Mm-hmm. For sure, that's a lot of mi- that's a lot of mindset shift when we have governments that are elected on short cycles. Like you know, we're asking a lot of a, of an environment that's almost set up inherently to be a little bit short term. Yeah, <laughs> just simply by by getting reelected for your next term. If we go to the political side of the the, the house, mm-hmm. well, I think in a way, you know, the the onus is on the citizens as well and on the businesses. And this is where we can help and kind of work together with government. And so for governments, a lot of it is job creation, lowering the barriers to, you know, companies coming here maybe creating a 
be more incentives or grants to make sure that we're bringing in the right talent. But for businesses, mm-hmm. if a company were doing well in Canada, then or in, in Calgary specifically, then interview and figure out why it's doing well here. And if there's companies that are leaving or that don't work out, I think exit interviews are equally as important you know, when you, when you leave roles and and for companies. And so I think a large part of that is a missing opportunity as well. Figure out why people are leaving, what are you missing and and really act on that. And then in terms of, you know, as individuals, I think one of the most important and one of the favorite lessons I've learned is not to play victim. So a lot of this is like, why me? Why is this happening? Why do I have to do this? Why not you? Like, why don't you get up and do something? Like, why aren't you the person that's creating the next company? Why sit there and watch somebody else go build the story because you have the capability to do it. And I think a lot of times, you know, it's not to say that it's equally challenging for everyone, understanding that there's obviously, you know, different things mm-hmm. and barriers that everybody will face given the background that you come from. Um, I, I really am a firm believer in kind of taking action around things that you want to change and not being discouraged along the way because a lot of things will go wrong. Um, but that's part of the process, I guess. And if you want to do something different, then you have to be willing to put in the work. And um, I think there's a big opportunity here somewhere for, for companies and for individuals to really make a difference to our city, to our province, and ultimately to the long-term economic success of Canada. Oh, that's, that's very inspirational. I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you a loaded question at the end. Would you ever move your company back? Uh, definitely, actually. This is something that we talked about during the next 36. And so one of the things that Reza said to us when we started the program was, you know, it's not, I'm not starting this program with the goal of keeping you in Canada. Now, my hope is that you'll come back long-term, but go out there, Mm, like do what you need to do, build your career, learn what you need to learn and, and get competitive, you know, like play at the top level for the globe, not for Canada, not for your city, not for your local community and go and learn how to be the best and then come back and bring that back with you and, and figure out how to, you know, kind of replicate that in Canada and how to help, figure out, you know, um, how you can contribute that back into our economy. And I think that was always the big goal. And I really resonate with that. I think I'm a very proud Canadian. I think especially, you know, in this day and age, I think Canada just, I'm, I'm proud of, I think, the way that the values that we raise, were raised with mm-hmm. and, you know, how we treat people and the reputation that we have around the world. I think it's just um, we live in an incredible country and we have so many opportunities. We're blessed with so much, so many advantages to that. I think when we go into a lot of the emerging markets that you don't see, one of these being language, the other one as simple as like time zone or communication styles, or, you know, just kind of an understanding of uh, culturally how some of the companies work. It's just, I think there's a lot of that that's really helped us. And it's our hope, at least both as a company and for myself as an entrepreneur to be able to you know, either pass this along to the founders that are younger than us and also, you know, kind of continue learning from people that are a lot further along um, and to continue to think about what it is that our country needs. And like I said, like, why not you, you know, at the end of the day, if something needs to be done and everyone's thinking that, then no one's going to do it. So um, between our cohort, our peers and our friends, we talk about this all the time and it's a goal for us. And I hope that it happens sooner than later, but uh, yeah. Well, it's, and it's kudos to you and it's people like yourself and your team that are making that happen. So I, I loved it. What a great chat. It was fantastic having you on the show. I appreciate your willingness to 
talk about reality and what's really going on, but also not to forget the philosophical side of like, this is a human experience that we're having. Yes, there's this industry and that industry and we're raising money. We're doing all the logistical items to make it happen. But that fundamental belief structure to have thick skin, be resilient, be adaptable. Mm -hmm. And I think the theme for the show is, you know, why not you? Why not me? <laughs> I, I like that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that one away today. So Kathy, if someone was curious about learning more about you, your company, getting involved, I'm not sure if you're if you're recruiting, like you said, you're always looking for talented people. Yeah. What's the best way for someone to get in touch with you? Yeah, for me, it's email and LinkedIn. So my email is kathy at 42technologies.com, the four and two are numbers. And then I'm on LinkedIn as just Kathy Han and uh, happy to connect anytime. And also I can be of help to, you know, the future entrepreneurs who are listening out there. Uh, we wouldn't have made it where we are, even though we're still early in the process without the help of a lot of people around us. And I'm always thankful for that. So if I'm able to help and, and give back in any way, please feel free to reach out to me as well. Thank you for putting that out there. Congratulations on all the amazing work you're doing. And thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Tyler, for hosting. This is great. Yeah, have an awesome day. You too.